Hi there, I'm Marianne Lozano, President of the Broadleaf Board of Directors and the Conference Chair for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference. This year, our conference will be held Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd at the Decatur Library in Decatur, Georgia. The 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference offers two days of panels, workshops, one-on-one -on -one pitch and mentoring sessions, a first pages critique, opportunities to meet and chat with our guest authors and literary agents, and plenty of time to spend with a community of fellow writers in attendance. We strive to attract top-level speakers, both with a track record of success in the industry, as well as those just beginning their careers, with the capacity and desire to help writers on their path to publication. This year, we're thrilled to be headlined by New York Times best-selling author Mary Kay Andrews. Registration for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference opens May 1st, so be sure to save the date. To learn more about our conference, I hope you'll visit our website at broadleafwriters.com. See you this fall. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Write Now, a podcast on the craft and business of writing presented to you by Broadleaf Writers based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Zachary Steele, and on today's episode, I'm pleased to welcome literary agents Elizabeth Copps and Maeve McLeisett from Copps Literary Services for a conversation on how to nail the all-important first page. We'll also hear three first pages submitted anonymously by our writing community and walk through what did or did not work in each. So get your notes ready to roll and let's see how we can help you get that first page just right. All right, Elizabeth, Maeve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, um, so uh, we're going to talk about first pages. And um, this is something that we do every year at our annual conference, um, which is the September 21st and 22nd, in case you're wondering. Um, we have the first page's critique where we have a panel of agents and editors who will listen to anonymous submissions of um, first pages from our attendees and give kind of a cold reaction to it. Um, we're going to do it a little bit different this time. You already have the pages, so you've had the opportunity to look through them and make some notes. And um, we're going to kind of go through three different uh, anonymous submissions from our writing community. Um, you guys can give me a reaction of what worked and what didn't work. Um, where the writer did well and please do this more or where they may have fallen a little bit short and here's what you could do to work on it. And then we'll we'll, we'll answer some questions before moving on to the next one. Um, but before we get into those, uh, I do want to ask a couple of questions leading with submission piles, slush piles, are, they're the thing. You get so many submissions and you have to be able to work through them as quickly as possible, which is one of the main reasons that we put such an emphasis on the first page. So how crucial is it to you as an agent for that first page to have what you're looking for to encourage you to read the rest of submitted material? Important, definitely important. I would say the first five pages for me are what really makes or breaks it. If you have me hooked in five, then I'll keep reading to 10, 20, 50. Um, but I think that I'm always looking for something really voicey um, with an interesting call to action or inciting action. Like it, the, the genre doesn't matter so much to me as that really 
interesting voice. What about you, Maeve? I'm also a very voice-driven person. So yeah, the, the first pages are so crucial because, you know, you can lose somebody after the first pages, but they won't get through the first pages if you haven't grabbed them. Um, and especially working in sci-fi fantasy, I think there's so, the first page is so challenging because unlike contemporary, there's 17 different things you have to do on it. You know, you have to get world, you have to get voice, you have to get tech, you've got to get stuff. There's usually action. Um, and not to say that it's any necessarily different for contemporary, but like, you know, the sort of standard of the world is the world earth now, 2023. Um, and you have a, there's, there's just one or two fewer variables that the author has to solve for. Um, and so, yeah, that first page is so incredibly important. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a question that we get a lot on our programs and at the conference and just in conversation that I have with writers, but, and they're, as I tell everybody, this industry is so subjective. And so I could probably ask hundred agents this question and, and maybe get a variation of, of an answer or differing answers across the board. Um, when I'm asked what I think needs to be in the first page, I, and I, I mentioned this to you in an email that I, I, stick to the five W's, the the who, what, the when, where, and and why should I care? Why should the reader care? Um, Elizabeth, you mentioned voice being one thing that's on there. And, and maybe I think you kind of alluded to that hodgepodge of things. But when you, when you're looking at first page or even the series of first pages, um, what specifically do you need in there? What should the writer make sure they put in to those first pages? I would say out of your list, the most important thing for me is the why, and the why can change. The why is not stagnant throughout a whole story, but if I'm going into a manuscript and I have no grounding regarding why I'm there and why we care about these characters, then I'm lost. And so I think that it's really hard, especially to Maeve's point, when you're writing fantasy or sci-fi, because in those first few pages, in that first page, you are balancing heavy world building with why and it's that is so hard that is so hard to do so when it's done well um and and maybe it's more the the fantasy sci-fi person than I am um but even I know <laughs> when it's done well that's something to pay close attention to um so I would say if you have to focus on anything in that list on page one know your why yeah to that I think it's really important to think about those questions. And again, very difficult to do for your own story because you've been so deeply in it. But I think the questions, you don't have to answer all five of those questions. So you don't have to do the whole who, what, when, or why, but you have to have the question not be, you have to have the question be, okay, and what next? Not what? You know, you want the questions that the reader is asking to be anticipatory. So you want to, you know, if you jump in with, some people jump in with pure character, you know, this person has jumped in. We have no idea what they're doing, where they are, but we're deeply, deeply characterized in their head. That's fine. As long as the questions that I'm answering or asking are, okay, I'm grabbed by this voice. What's coming next? Mm -hmm. um, same thing. You can be really far removed from the characters and you can say, hey, here's this cool setup. You know, I, I'm thinking of like, you know, I always wish I had things on hand to read from, but you know, this is a court drama. So we're starting in court. There's 17 characters you don't know anyone yet, you're totally unmoored, as long as the question that I, as the reader, am asking is, okay, now what next? That's really important, versus you can put all of the information you want on the first page, and if I'm saying, what? Why? 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 
then that's not the right tone, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And in uh, to stray just a touch from like strictly first pages, um, when you're reading this material, let's say that um, it is something that is grabbing you and it has that voice in it and you do want to keep going, but the the writing isn't quite there. Or how, how likely are you to work with a writer on the writing side of things, like before signing them or anything, let's say, um, if you just really love the story and the voice? I think Maeve and I would both agree that sometimes we're willing to work too much. Um, we're both very much editorial agents and we love and appreciate the craft. That said, you know, an author can be, there, there's a there's a sliding scale here. So if it's something that it's very apparent that they have an amazing concept and they genuinely, you know, do have a strong voice, but for whatever reason, the writing on the level of the line is just not hitting. Um, I think for us, it could either be a situation of, oh, okay, but they're, they're far enough along that if we give a revise and resubmit letter, and if we're very specific in our critique, uh, then this could work out. Alternatively, it could be a situation where you realize, okay, this person, you know, needs to, um, I don't know, anything from join a writing group or attend more workshops or go to more conferences. Like they're so green that the I the the concepts are there and the raw talent is there, but they just need more, um, you know, to hone their craft. Then I think we have to be very honest with ourselves about how much bandwidth we have and how much time we can really spend nurturing an author and getting a manuscript to a point where we're comfortable submitting to publishers. So that's a general answer <laughs> to I think a more it's specific... different for every agent, you know, and like it's it's really up to them how much they are able to and want to teach. I know for myself, I don't teach well. Um, and because as Elizabeth said, I really love craft. I really love working with, um, I come from the art, the artist sort of side of things as well. And so I really like working with artists who are really good at what they do. So I find that I tend actually towards the, like, these sentences are incredible. This story is the kitchen sink and we need to find a way of balancing that. And I am personally not the kind of person who's going to be a very good teacher, um, for someone who just needs to learn basic craft, but there are plenty of people who will work with people who are just like, you know, this concept is incredible and sellable and commercial. Let's mm -hmm. find a way of getting the craft to where we want it to be. And it's, yeah, it's, it's editor okay. or agent by agent. Yeah. I'll also say that if the voice is there, the craft is probably going to be there too. There's not many situations where you see one and so strongly and not the other. There does tend to be a, a flow when the voice is there. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, we're going to read the first page, first first page that we have submitted, um, and this one is untitled and is women's fiction. Marcia had seen the Dodge Charger coming up behind her, weaving in and out of traffic. It swerved into her lane, barely missing her front bumper. Holy shit! She yelled, tapped her brakes. The next thing she saw was the Charger spinning in front of her, somehow becoming airborne and landing on the top of the hood of her Prius upside down. Her airbag deployed, pushing her glasses into her face with such force she thought she might she might she thought they might go through her skull and out the other side. Then Marcia passed out. When she came to, she noted several things simultaneously. First, her legs were pinned under the steering wheel and she couldn't move. She was pretty sure she had broken her right leg, though, based on the searing pain she felt. 
Second, other people were out of their cars, on their phones, and waving their hands around. Third, she could hear someone screaming and crying. And fourth, and most horrifying, she could see right into the driver's side of the charger where the driver was hanging upside down, lifeless and bloody. Someone knocked on her window and asked if she was okay. Marcia nodded and then realized how stupid that was. Of course she wasn't okay. I can't move my legs, she said. They're pinned under the steering wheel and I think my leg is broken. We've called 911 for you. Someone will be here in a well, someone will be here to help in a minute. Well, that was good. Help would be nice, and some heat, and maybe an Advil. Can you do me a favor? The voice came from her passenger seat, which was unexpected since no one had been in the car with her. Marsha looked to her right and saw the vague outline of someone who looked very much like the driver of the charger. But that was ridiculous. The driver of the charger was in the charger, upside down and very much dead. She looked again and the outline was still there. Um, I don't think you're real, but sure. Can you tell her I'm sorry? She kept telling me to slow down, but I was showing off like an asshole. Tell her I love her. Tell who? My girlfriend. She's in the car there. He pointed to the charger. Marsha couldn't see the passenger in the car, but assumed he was talking about the screamer. How are you talking to me? You're dead. I'm hallucinating. No hallucination, but I have to leave. Please tell her. Marsha watched as the speaker faded away. Then as the sirens got louder, she passed out again. All right, so first I'd like to get your um, your feedback on that, and then we'll kind of weave in and out of questions. Um, Maeve, how about you? Yeah, so... I'm always a little bit nervous about starting dialogue with expletives um, because dialogue on the first page can be jarring because you have to jump between the interiority of the character and the exteriority of the dialogue and expletives tell you absolutely nothing about the character. Absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, they in context they can, but a sentence like holy shit does not give you the voice of the character, um, which means that by the time you get down to the I can't move my legs, that's kind of the first time we've seen the character actually speak. And so it's hard to judge. It's hard to get that voice of the character because all we've seen is that moment of like, what's going wrong. Um, but I do, I, I like the twist. I do like the twist. Uh, I think it's charming. Um, Me too. I, I was a little worried. I was a little like disturbed about the fact that we kind of started with this moment of like extreme action. I didn't really get the con the, the voice of the character. Then she passes out and there's like a time, there's a huge time gap in, what is essentially one sentence um and that sort of alighting of time is a little confusing um and it was a bit jarring but i do like the the switch um one thing i will note is that the like the the narration is so i think again to that character voice question the narration is so deeply in marsha's voice that i think we're losing some of the dialogue quality of her voice but we are getting it in the narration um and the one thing i would say is be careful to make sure that everyone else's narration or everyone else's dialogue does not also sound like marsha yeah, I think that's really good. I, I will say um, this is a really great example of showing your why um, straight out of the gate. Like we know mm -hmm. that Marsha um, has gotten in this horrific car accident and, um, you know, her larger purpose in the context of the novel, we can assume just from the first page is, you know, she can see dead people and she is supposed to communicate on behalf of these uh, deceased persons. Um, so I think that this author did a lot of setup right in the first, you know, page and a half. And I really appreciated that. Um, a couple of things that I did note, I wasn't really feeling um, 
this moment of great fear and trauma with some like dark comedy. I didn't think that the place to say the line, well, that was good. Help would be nice. And some heat and maybe an Advil. It felt very flippant. You have this like very traumatic visceral scene of this guy hanging bloody and lifeless upside down. Um, and she has a broken leg. She would be in so much pain. It almost feels as though like, you know, she should be one of the screaming people not being able to narrate this um, in a calm, logical way. Like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. but, uh, yeah. And so uh, that was one of my notes. I, I also wondered if maybe the paragraph um, that starts when she came to, she noted several things simultaneously. Instead of listing it out, I would have like to have felt it in real time. Like, again, I think that there are these moments um, to make the reader feel along with the main character. The main character, again, she's trapped. She's terrified. She just had an incredibly traumatic accident. Um, and I feel like right away we're sort of being taken out of the scene on an emotional level and reading it with a bird's eye view through the character. Um, so I think those those are my two main points. You know, I, I agree with, with what Maeve said, um, but I love the twist. I thought that was really fun and how she yeah. did that again yeah. so early on, like that was great. Gotcha. I actually um, kind of come on a tie Maeve, your comment about the the first line of dialogue and and Elizabeth, you talking about the sort of sensory um, immersive nature of being in the moment. What are some ways that we could spruce up the intro, maybe sans dialogue without the the screaming of the expletive? Yeah, the good question. I think part of it is that yeah, kind of that balancing what Elizabeth said of we're in her voice, but we're not in her body. And I think that that's where some of the like remove and flippantness comes from. Um, I, I hesitate to ever say like, you know, back it up a little bit, you know, tell us what she was doing. Was she going to the store? Like, we don't necessarily need that level of detail because I, I hesitate to try to slow down the action, but I do think getting more of that voice a little bit more grounded, I think would be helpful. So either um you know yeah you just tell tell us that like the I don't know I also I'm also like now that I'm thinking about it thinking about this very uh traumatic accident and being like if her glasses were pushed into her face with such force like maybe she does have a ruptured eye like would these things happen like be, be careful that you're I think one of the things that I am trying to think of is how would I shoot this if there was if this was a movie if this was the introductory scene to a movie which mm -hmm. pieces would we get um, and I think that the pieces we would get are a little bit more focused on the body, on her. Yeah, or you could even take out the line, holy shit, she yelled and tapped her brakes and just, um, you know, merge those two paragraphs. And then the paragraph when she came to, et cetera, et cetera. I'm trying to think of like, I, I don't know if this is the right tone, but like dead to me, I feel like is the right tone for this. Yeah. Of like mm. the the narration and the sort of framing is really funny and the main character has very naturalistically written dialogue so she is the one i mean to be fair 99.9 percent .9 of her dialogue is also swearing um but you know the the character that we get is reacting realistically to the the things she has in the moment but the tone of the story overall is really funny and like how how do we mesh those two you know mm -hmm. right yeah and i know this is a polarizing thing to say i even wonder if the 
um, accident could be a prologue. Maybe looking you at could, I, th I think if you did that, you, you you could certainly dive more into the 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 visual components of the accident, the sort of sensory mm -hmm. experience um, in doing that. So that would be interesting. I'm almost wondering if you do not that, but like jump not to the moment of the crash, but to her in the hospital, because then there's a reason why she's so removed from it, because she's drugged up, she's in the hospital, there's a ghost next to her, there's 17 people running around, like, then that makes sense why she's waking mm -hmm. up and being like, something traumatic happened to me, but I'm not super attached to that moment. And I'm also like, am I really high? And that's why I'm seeing this ghost, or am I actually just a very chill person? You know, I think yeah. I would almost do it that way and push it yeah. farther. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think this back and forth shows like, just like a complex math problem, there are so many ways to solve a scene. There are so many ways to rewrite a scene. Our job is to say, hey, X, Y, and Z isn't working for whatever reason. And so now let's work together to figure out however many permutations we can to make this the best that it can be. So I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to think, you know, oh, okay, well, like Maven Elizabeth made these suggestions. So that's the way that this scene has to be written for them to pay attention to it in a slush pile. There are so many ways to rewrite this. The crux of it is we want to feel more um, centered in the action and, and May phrased it really well um, just a second ago about um, being in her body and oh god what did you say it was perfect anyway yeah being in her body um, but but not in her or being with her but not in her head something like that it was yeah 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 so you know that that's the piece that's not working that's the piece that the author should think about um, and there are so many different ways to solve this math problem. Um, one really quick thing before we move on to the next one, you had commented about the uh, the line with the, the maybe an Advil um, being sort of misplaced there. Um, it feels like it's one of those times where, where this scene doesn't necessarily call for that humorous break in the tension. Um, but how, what, how do you feel about diffusing tension with humor if it's done in the right spot. That's all I read. I only I like humor. It. I think everything should be funnier. I don't I don't watch TV or movie read books for realism. I read it for very witty. This is the reason that we that people like Oscar Wilde, you know, you want really mm -hmm. heightened things by really witty people. I think that was the thing of like what was so what I'm trying to always emulate of like late 90s, early 2000s sitcom TV dialogue was like, it was never real. It was never real. It, but they all had these like really snappy, immediate comebacks. And like, it's also Buffy. So like everyone is dying. I don't know. I love humor. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I always use Grady Hendrix as my gold standard for mixing something really dark with something like darkly funny. I think that he does that beautifully um so it's not that i don't believe that it shouldn't be in here and i think the comp that maybe used of dead to me is a perfect example of that like a very heavy grief-laden show but it's funny as hell um mm -hmm. and so i just think that you know if you are having your reader immerse themselves in a really crazy traumatic accident um where the character is in pain like the character would be in uh, Marsha would be in a tremendous amount of pain right now based on those descriptions. Um, and so I I don't think her first thought would be like, mm, would love an Advil. Um, I also think that's the level of clarity that we're responding to because the thing is, yeah, like when you're in a really traumatic incident, you're like 
again, as as we have been told by media, your understanding of it is so fragmented and so fractured. And so it actually makes more sense that she's in the seat looking at a person next to her and being like, that looks like a ghost. That's weird, but that looks like a ghost. That seems actually more not realistic but more true to the experience of like i'm my body is disconnected from my brain right now because that's the only way that i can compartmentalize this and process this the like very banal like i think i might need an advil it would almost make more sense if she was like i would like a vente frappuccino because that's like so removed that it's your brain being like i can't process what's happening here so i'm gonna jump all the way over here you know yeah you had mentioned you had mentioned dead to me and and i could see the Part of that line playing after asked if she needed anything, um, if I'm imagining that character, the lead character, just sort of, you know, God, you know, I, I could use an Advil and and something. I She'd don't know. say, but I, 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 like, what do you need? I need a scotch on the rocks, you know? She yeah, would say, this is true. Advil. She would she say, like, she would say. Yeah. I need a but, then, but I she guess would go then, so much farther. Yeah, then what yeah. we're saying is humor that is true to the character plays mm-hmm. in a moment like that. I understand yeah. why the choice was made. I just don't think it works right okay. there. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. And uh, this is a fantasy sci-fi. Uh, the title is The Yellow Planet. With a blast of air, the wizard slammed Astronus's face onto the stone floor. Students gasped and laughed as he lay on his stomach, neck twisted to the left. Arms paralyzed, Astronus struggled and soon stopped, slumped. The few details Astronus captured after entering the room flashed in his mind. A wizard with a thin mustache wearing a gray robe standing behind an obsidian desk. The backs of brown robes, students sitting on benches at four long oak tables, and dozens of floating yellow orbs that failed to ward off the darkness exuding from the gray stone walls. Footsteps shuffled. You're late, the wizard said. His robe, smelling of incense, brushed against Astronus's legs. You're a wizard in training, boy. Discipline begins now. These students arrived on time. What privilege allows you to arrive late? None, nothing. A whip of air lashed Astronus's back. He cried out, No, what? Silence swallowed up the room as if continued existence of time depended on Astronus's next words. And what barn did the academy find you, boy? A stone jutted into Astronus's trembling cheek. No one told me what to say. No one told me anything. They dropped me off here. I'm sorry, I, I don't know what to say. He closed his eyes, flinching. Punish me however you'd like. The wizard knelt, the knee near Astronus's head. You say, no, Master Evius. No, Master Evius. I mean, yes, Master Evius. A few students laughed. The air dissipated from around his arms, although he remained in the same position. We'll talk after my lecture. Rise and find a place to sit. Standing, stretching his cramped arms and neck, Astronus blushed as students stared, leering and laughing. Evius strode toward the front of the room. Tears blurring his eyes, Astronus sat in the back corner and concentrated on the scratches and pits scarring the floating oak table. Two students at the other end of the table stood away from him as far as possible. At first, Edius's words meant nothing as Astronus replayed his entrance over and over. Each throb of his cheek reminded him of his face slamming into the ground and the ensuing laughter. Gradually, Astronus paid attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm actually really excited to hear Mabe's thoughts on this because, again fantastical but I did think um the first sentence was a good opening um I was immediately grabbed by that and wanted to know why this uh like I I didn't understand at first that Astronus was a younger boy um 
but I felt like that whole moment was intriguing enough to propel me forward. Um, but then we get to later down in the paragraph, starting with the few details Astrid has captured after entering the room flashed in his mind. And it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of info dumping. It's a lot of description um, packed very close together. And so I always warn authors to uh, try to steer away from that because then it feels like a run on sentence. Um, it just makes the writing feel a little muddy. And instead I say, you know, try to infuse your writing with description, with sensory details instead of giving it in chunks. Um, so just pay attention to that. And um, apart from that, I think this is another nice example of, um, I, I feel like I'm not describing like the show your why maybe in, in the right way. And maybe the word why isn't quite um, what I'm looking for, but I like it when a book sets us up to um, kind of what Maeve was talking about, just, you know, what what is it about this scene? What is it about this character that intrigues us enough to flip forward? Um, and so I think that there's real action in this page instead of only detail, um, only world building. Uh, Master Avius reminds me a lot of Snape, actually. Um, so that was, that was interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I would be really curious, you know, as we go forward, I just don't want things to feel like stereotypes. So, you know, the, the children all like laughing and, and snickering at this beat up student. Um, not that that's not realistic, but I, it does make me curious, you know, oh, how are they going to, how's the author going to write in um, a friend or a confidant for Astronus? And you know, who is this kid? I, I assume that he probably um, ends up being quite powerful just by the way this is set up because usually that's the way it happens, right? Like someone who is getting bullied ends up taking over the world. Um, so I have a lot of questions, but they're good questions. And they're questions that I imagine the author is going to visit pretty quickly in the upcoming okay. pages. So I would definitely say based on this, I would want to read more. Okay. Maeve? So I'm the opposite. I think <laughs> people should be lazier. I think people should always be lazier when it comes to world building and story because you have so much of it to do. And I think that they have unfortunately used a lot of a page to say something that I could have guessed from a very specific, uh, a much shorter amount of words. And so the the first sentence is really engaging and it does start with a moment of action, but I don't quite understand why we didn't just start one sentence back and say, he's late. You know, why not ground us there? Because that would have been a good time to say he's late. He sees these, like, he's so excited. It's his first day. He sees all these other kids at these oak benches. You know, he's probably from the country. We learn that he doesn't really know what this is. So he's like, what's, what is his anticipatory coming into the first day and being like oh my god I'm gonna go to wizard school this is so cool and then having your face slammed into the floor that actually sets us up for more character intrigue earlier and would remove that the the sentences of like really close packed world building that Elizabeth was responding to um and so the and the reason I say I think we should be lazier is that 
what is happening on this page and what is happening in this scene is in a fantastical world. There's a bunch of stuff going on. We're going to learn a bunch of stuff about the world, but a boondocks kid coming into a new school late for the first time is a character that we know. It's a character that we understand and it's a really easy one to sympathize with. So we don't actually need all of this dialogue between the character and the, the teacher to know he's a kid from the country, He's he the the mismatch of his expectation has been pretty drastic at this point, and the teacher's a dick. That's like all we needed to know. Sorry, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use that kind of language on this podcast. You are fine. Um, <laughs> so I would honestly rather spend more time sitting in the character's head and saying, yeah, the, the watching that mismatch of, I'm so excited to go to wizard school, and now everyone is terrible, and then let's move on from there, and then like when he does come back, um. I think there's a level of specificity missing here that I always ask people to think about. Think about the the level of understanding of your world. If everyone here is called wizards, sure, fine. But I feel like when you go into like a, think of, again, think of yourself. This is the way we do good world building is we think about the closest analog in our worlds. Think about going to university. When you sit down in the university hall how do you think about your professors do you call them professors do you call them mr and mrs do you call them by their first name there's a level of sort of personal detail and personal usage that i think is missing from this um and so especially right at that very end moment where he kind of withdraws into himself you know obviously it cuts off so we don't get that next page but that was where i started to get really interested to like oh this is where you're going to develop the character for me because if he's a kid from the country i again i'm making wild assumptions based on this but like maybe he's like oh i remember being bullied by kids in the farm village and now i'm going to like talk about like how did i respond to that was i just kind of the quiet kid or was i always like i'm going to be better than them and i'm going to go to wizard school and now that i'm at wizard school i'm being bullied again you know like that's i think right there is where we were about to get all of that who is this kid and why do we care about him um and so i think you should take this reader or this author should take more not to say sloppy but like be a little bit conciser in the beginning because we know this character how can we tap into the reader's knowledge of this character so that we can get to that moment a little bit faster so would you say um much like the page we read before this is um a very external scene you know you as the reader are just sort of observing rather than being intricately involved with the character themselves so that's when you're saying that the dialogue could probably be reduced if we just evolve the character a little bit more from within. Yep. I would say if you're going to put this much dialogue on the first page, make it much more, more character. The voice of the the wizard, you know, he does sound like Snape. He sounds like every mean professor, every caricature of a mean professor. So really dig into, um, I think it's the two doctors Gorski, I think starts on dialogue or there's dialogue very, very close to the start of it. Actually, no, that's a lie. It starts with a lot of internal. But the first time we meet the teacher, there's just like this long stream of just invective. Like this character is so characterized by just his first sentence. Um, and I think if we're going to put that level of detail of dialogue on this first page, it should, he, uh, Astronus should sound like a bumpkin and the wizard should be using, you know, wizardy words or like, you know, mm -hmm. asking him to define the square root of 17 or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I completely see what you mean. And I hear you. I think that, and maybe it's because I'm not such 
a fantasy reader. Like it's, it's not one of my main genres that I didn't mind being spoon fed a little more. Um, but it really is interesting, you know, to hear a perspective of someone who is in the genre all the time, like, okay, but maybe we want to get out of this very, um, standard trope, um, and zhuzh it up a little bit. So yeah, I think that feedback was really strong. Yep. You were, um, maybe you were commenting about the, the line of your late. So if we, we both liked the, the opening sentence the way that it is, but you were suggesting that if the that line you were late, the wizard said his robes smelling incense brushed against Astronaut's legs. Um, like just that part of it. If if we opened the chapter with that, if we opened the scene with that, you feel like that establishes everything we need to know in terms of what we're walking into. Maybe. I, I feel like we would I would actually prefer not to get it from an, an external character. I would prefer to get it from Astronus's perspective, but have it yeah actually now that i think about it just like the wizard the your late said the wizard um and then the blast of air would actually yeah. clarify that yeah. I think because i yeah. i read blast of air and like oh he's in the middle of a, a tough wizard battle no he's just being bullied by his teacher like it it there was kind of a mismatch to the understanding of as i'm and this is not true of every reader but as we've learned very recently um but i'm always kind of building a cinematic image in my head and the cinematic image of you're being attacked by a wizard and you're being bullied by your teacher are two very different things and so i had to kind of like recalibrate between first and second sentence versus mm -hmm. like yeah if you started with that you're late we understand that like it's not a life or death thing it just sucks yeah, I like that a lot. You're late, the wizard said. With a blast of air, he slammed Astronus's face onto the stone floor. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that would be stronger. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to go to our last page and our last first page. And um, and then we'll, we'll talk about that one. This one is called Anatomy of Here, and it is listed as literary fiction. It wasn't just here. It was everywhere here. The house, yard, street. In town, in the city, in the murky blanket of stagnant air boiled by miles of concrete under an unrelenting August heat, in the way the surrounding highways of Atlanta seemed to incite every driver into a messy kumbaya of road rage layered in screaming fits of uncontrollable fury and bad judgment. It was everything, and Annie wanted to be safely away, an eight-hour drive free from it all in her protective cocoon of Richmond, Virginia, where truth and reality had the decency to knock first where life's myriad problems were more manageable because they didn't bother with definition or form, where she wouldn't have to face inevitability. Her mother would be dead in a matter of days. Dead. Her mother. Her sweet, wonderful, silly, incredibly flawed mother. The woman who could infuriate her into tears that only a hug, could, only her hug could silence. The woman, who would never, the woman who would never answer the phone but would call at the most inopportune time to, and talk for hours. The woman whose laugh was so infectious, so memorable, so potent, any moment of fear or doubt evaporated in the face of the simplest simplest of joke or mispronounced word. Annie chewed on the remnants of a nail, eyes closed tight despite the flood of memories it invited, ignoring the constant grind of brakes, manic thump of barely qualified music, piercing bite of horns, the jarring radio voice screaming about some car lot she would never, never in any of her lifetimes visit. They needed to get to the airport, now, before the wave of pain washed her from the shore and carried her out to sea before any attempted language devolved into a wailing symphony of symphony of disbelief and anguish. The digital clock embedded in the dash dutifully flipped another minute toward touchdown. 39 minutes in Benwoodland, 
39 minutes and she could quit trying to be strong. 39 minutes in the parade of returning siblings would begin with the eldest, the smartest, the only one she knew would make it better. Something warm and soft cupped her fingers, prying the defeated nail from between the steady grind of her teeth, nestling her hand, gripping it, drawing it toward the center console. Annie followed the length of her arm, pale skin dotted in red pinpricks of stress, fingers flexing, unsettled, uncertain what they should do or where they should be. Um, I'm going to say what I was taught in early high school, which is I I wouldn't personally start with a, a pronoun, a definite pronoun, or a demonstrative pronoun, I think that's what they're called. It is an unspecific pronoun so it doesn't necessarily tie us to anything and this is i think this is actually a really good example in contrast to the other two we've read because the other two were so removed and this is so deeply characterized um but i think i'm getting it by the end i think i'm getting by the end that the it is just the sort of overwhelmingness of her life and the overwhelmingness of this grief that she feels like is about to come crashing down on her um but the, again the first question I ask is what what is it you know um and so I don't want to I wouldn't want the reader or the author to to kind of shoot their shot and miss with having that it because it's such an unspecific word um and then yeah it is so deeply and that's the thing is like you go into such a, a deeply characterized really beautifully written story and and really all of the characters emotions um and so i think actually in this case we need a little bit of a remove we just need a little bit of a remove or a little bit just more specificity that might be all we need the feeling of overwhelm it you know it would not be as great of a first sentence to say the feeling of overwhelm wasn't just here but also it wasn't just here does not exactly pull me off my feet um so take the beauty of what you're saying and the sort of uniqueness of what you're saying later um, and bring that back up. The the kumbaya of road rage layered in screaming fits of uncontrollable fury and bad judgment is an interesting combination of words. So I know the reader, could, the author can do it. They're just not doing it with the first sentence. Um, and then my only other question is, or not the only other question, but um, I was confused in a couple of places. So I was confused about whether she was going or coming because she says it in the second sentence, she wanted to be safely away. She wants to be an eight hour drive from all of this. Um, I'm a little bit confused about why time would stop in Richmond, Virginia, because that's essentially kind of what she's implying, because I can't tell where her mother is. I think that's really important to me because I can't tell if she's trying to get to her mother, in which case you'd think the impending doom of her death is actually worse in the country where her mother is or her mother is here and she wants to get away from that and she's just waiting for her mother to be dead so not not callously but like waiting for that band-aid to come off so that she can get away and take some time for herself so i couldn't figure out she's so concerned about going to this airport and i can't tell if she's picking somebody up or going somewhere else and again i feel like my my questions are more what rather than anticipatory which is what i want to be um I was also kind of confused by the very end. I have a feeling that we're going to introduce a new character um, and probably a lover or a friend. And it's an interesting contrast to have her dead mother, who's the only person who can comfort her, which is what she's thinking up top. And then within the same first page, somebody who is clearly going to comfort her. And I think that if that is not an intentional contrast and that's not an intentional thing that they're gonna play with for the rest of the book, 
just notice that you're doing that because that's an interesting thing to put on the first page. And I would want you to carry that through to the rest of the story. Yeah, that was great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh God, what do I say after that? Um, yeah, I actually um, had the first sentence highlighted and uh, was going to say something very similar to Maeve. And so I guess more generally, I do think that the opening paragraph um, and, re and really the first page as a whole elicited a lot more questions instead of presenting a why, um, or I, I, I should say instead of satisfying a why, I was asking why in a way that was not satisfying. Um, I felt a lot of confusion. I think that this writer um, is lyrical and maybe this is one of the situations where the prose is like really gorgeous. Um, but the storytelling isn't quite meeting the level of the prose. Um, that is impossible to say from a first page, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I did think that, you know, there there were times, I, I thought it was interesting that Maeve liked the line into a messy kumbaya of road rage. Um, I found like some of these lines to be again, lyrical, but overwrought. And I, whenever I think of the word kumbaya, it's everyone sitting around a drum circle, holding hands and singing. It's definitely not something that I would ever um, juxtapose against road rage. And so I think that there are some moments in here um, like that where um, it, it just didn't quite work for me. I loved what Mabe said about how the mother could only comfort her. Um, and then there's, you know, this person in the car with her who was trying to provide comfort. Um, I didn't even pick up on that, but I think that that's a really good point. Um, I'm also curious um, how her mother would be dead in a matter of days. Um, it, it led me to believe that her mother has been like fighting some long-term illness, but the way that this is written, it makes it feel like it's a very visceral, shocking moment for the reader that they, they did not expect to lose their mother like this. And so again, I know all this is going to become clear, but I think that there's a lot of things at odds with each other as Maeve and I are going, you know, through this page. Um, and I'm, I'm curious why the author, you know, made some of these stylistic choices or, or um, vocabulary choices, I guess. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm intrigued, but I have many questions. Right, right. I think in the I, contrast of like, first shots like the the first one that we read with the car crash we're watching that scene and there's so much action and we can understand that this is like the first episode of a tv show there's this like traumatic car crash and then we're kind of asking the questions of like should we have a traumatic car crash on page one question question um and this one in terms of just like imagining the scene is like a close-up on a person in a bus with no specifying detail outside of it you know like just imagining what's happening and the level of detail that or like uh clarity that we as the reader is getting is very much just like a close shot on a very sad woman for the whole first page and like mm -hmm. just remember that that's the image that is being created by this all right well um before we sign off i i will ask one more question of you um what advice would you give a writer that is sitting down to that blank first page um that might help them get to where they need to be 
I would say really try to have an understanding holistically of the story that you want to tell. I know that people, uh, you know, define themselves as plotters versus pantsers. If you're a pantser and it works for you, I have the utmost admiration. Good for you. That's awesome. I don't think that most people, most writers are good at that. I think you need to have a, you know, tightly plotted outline you need to have you know full character descriptions you need to know your characters so intimately even if you're not using all of those details in the novel itself um you already need to have established a relationship with the people who are going to be in your book um and then it starts to write itself i think if you're just sitting down looking at a blank page hoping that the muse will strike and it's like okay I'm ready to create. Um, lightning doesn't strike like that most of the time. And so I think that you have to come at it from a more calculated perspective versus maybe a more like doe-eyed creative perspective, if that makes sense. I think there's two pieces of advice and it depends on where you are in the process. If you're, I don't think the first sentence you ever write should be the actual first sentence that a book starts or mm -hmm. it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be. Um, because yeah, the the creative block of I have a you have to start somewhere, and where you're going to start is almost always wrong, um, and that's fine because you have to get it out. You have to you have to start somewhere. You're building this whole world. You're building all of Westeros. You have to start somewhere, um, and it might not be where you actually eventually start. This is something that I always used to do, and it's not you know it's not quite one to one. But when you're writing an academic paper, never write your introduction first. Write your introduction write the whole paper and then go back and write the introduction again because the paper that you started writing is not going to be the paper that you actually wrote your paper that you wrote is going to be much more correct to what you wanted to say because you figured it out as you were going and now you're going to go back to the page in front front page and say i meant it all along buckle up this is where we're going so that's what you should be doing with your first page is you should start wherever you need to start to get the process going because writing a book is hard i understand um and then go back when you're done and rewrite that opening and say, what do I actually need to tell my character or my readers? What do I actually need to start? Um, and then if you're ready to get it, or if you're like feeling, trying to figure out if you are ready to put it on submission, give it to people. Give the first five pages to people who have no idea what you're doing and ask mm -hmm. them what their questions are, you know? And you want, again, the questions to be anticipatory, not clarifying. Yeah, if you have the opportunity not to only write in a vacuum, I do think it's important to surround yourself with other like-minded individuals and writers. I think that's why programs and organizations like Broadleaf are so vital and so important um, because it gives space and platform um, for writers to connect with each other and ask these questions. And is this working? Why isn't it working? Um, and I, I love what Maeve said, like your first sentence probably won't be what your first sentence uh, of the novel will be in its end iteration, and it shouldn't be. Um, so I think it's important not to feel too stressed or precious about um, just getting the words on paper and, and seeing where they go. You, you can start at any scene in the book and it doesn't have to, you don't have to write literally. And we're going to leave it on that note. Maeve, Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time and your expertise today and for listening to the pages of our writing community. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us.
All right. Thank you. Bye.